Okay, so this morning, I want to tackle something that I think we all kind of know as a concept, and we know that it is in Scripture, and we talk about it. Um, And before I get into what that is, I I want to preface it by saying um, I was preparing this message, and I had a thought that it's never the Bible's fault when a teacher or a preacher um, gets something wrong or puts two pieces together that shouldn't fit. So if you hear something that is not biblical, don't blame the Bible, blame me. Uh, And if you hear something that's good and you're like, wow, that was really profound, then don't blame me, blame the Bible and blame the Holy Spirit. So just want to give credit where credit is due. Um, And that doesn't mean that I'm not diligent and uh, that I'm not um, trying to rightly divide, but only God actually gives the increase. Okay, so first question, what is the glory of of God. What is the glory of God? And I'm not going to completely answer this question this morning. That would take all day or all week, but I'm going to try to touch on some things. Um, and the next question is, what is going to be in my life if I am living a life to the glory of God? First of all, this is attainable. This is possible. God has put Uh, everything in his word in such a way that we can actually practically live it out. If you remember, if you were here or if you listened to the messages from Dr. Whitney, you remember when he was talking about meditation on scripture, that it's not some foreign concept that you have to go to seminary to learn how to do. It is doable. And for everything in scripture that God commands us to do, there is a simple, practical outworking of the commandment. Now, does that mean it's easy? No, that does not mean it's easy, but it's all right there in scripture. And like I said a minute ago, we talk about this. We say, you know, man, give the glory to God, man, and you should be living your life for God's glory. And um, we talk about worshiping God and all these different things related to the glory of God. But do we actually understand what that means? So I hope by the power of the scripture and uh, the Holy Spirit that we might be able to uh, learn a little bit more about what this means. So I'm going to start with a quote from John Piper, which I thought was insightful. He says, I believe the glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as the infinite value of God, the infinite intrinsic worth of God. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we're created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we make him look gloriously trustworthy. God has made us. He saves us from our sin. He has a path forged uh, for our lives as believers. Uh, He wakes us up every morning. He protects us. Um, So God is glorified when his truth is disseminated uh, in the world. And since we're created in the image of God, we have a unique ability to praise him as no other created thing can. We can speak God's actual name, and we can praise his attributes. Um, And I think something else that's helpful uh, is the Greek word in the New Testament for glory is doxa. And doxazo, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, is the word for glorify. So that's where we get our word doxology when we think about worship and singing the doxology. So... um, God is glorified when his truth goes public, when who he is and what he has given to us is made public, when it is brought to the forefront. 
Uh, and I'm going to go through three main scriptures here. Again, these are not exhaustive, but I hope that they would um, help us to, they would kind of be our guideposts as we go through the rest of, of the material this morning. Okay, so the first one is Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, Matthew 5.16. So our ultimate end is to praise God and to give Him glory. And the world, we know that we're Christians, but the world can't see what's going on in our heart, and thus we must demonstrate it in our good works by the power of the Holy Spirit so that God can be glorified. Our next scripture would be John 15, 8. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus' entire point of living life on earth was to glorify his heavenly Father. That's the foundation of the gospel. Uh, Our ugly sinfulness and God's necessary wrath against it, contrasted by his amazing love, demonstrated in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And I think going along with this thought, he says, and so prove to be my disciples, there's a school of thought out there today that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. It's very easy to profess faith in Christ so that you won't go to hell and then go and live your life however in the world you want to. Um, And we might be living pretty good lives, not murdering anybody or any gross sexual sins or not stealing from anyone or being mean to our spouse. But living a moral, ethical life that's not for Christ is pointless. Why would, why, why would we do that? It's, we're going to go to hell anyway, so why don't we just live a life that's more to our advantage and grab what we can uh, while it's available? And something to remember along with that thought, as Christ has called us to a different lifestyle, we have to be careful that... We live that different lifestyle out of a love for him, out of a gratefulness for what he has done for us. Um, It's not going to improve my salvation. It's not going to further it, but it is an example to others, and it is how uh, Christ has called us to live. And if I am a true disciple of Christ, I'm going to have spiritual interest. I'm going to be reading the word. I'm going to be discussing scripture. I'm going to be applying it to my life. Uh, I'm going to want to discuss it with other people. And I'm going to have a willingness to share the gospel and a willingness to obey what is in Scripture and to be able to stand on difficult passages that challenge who I am. Now, if I see a person that's not doing these things, should I immediately condemn him? No. But it gives me reason to question what's in his heart because fruit is going to be outside if there's uh, change on the inside. And again, God, only God knows the heart. This is not a conclusive list, but when you don't see these things, there's reason to question. 1 Corinthians 10.31, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And it's easy for us to think about this verse. Uh, we think about it with uh, worship and uh, prayer and following Scripture's commands and that sort of thing. But... <clears throat> What about brushing my teeth? Is that glorifying to God? Well, um, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
And if I'm uh, conversing uh, with Zach and all he can think about is my halitosis, then whatever I'm saying or sharing with him, he's not going to remember it very well. Um, And if I don't brush my teeth, I might have to go to the dentist and spend God's money that could be spent in better ways. Um, uh, And this is my favorite one. If I don't brush my teeth, then um, my wife is not going to be willing to snuggle up with Mr. Green Tongue Man. So... There is great benefit to these little things. And I'm supposed to live with my wife in an understanding way, so that would be glorifying to God. So even fresh breath, it can be glorifying to God. (laughs) Taking care of our bodies. So I'm going to try to get serious here again. All right. So in Exodus 33.18, let's all turn there. It's a very short passage, but I think it's, it's worthwhile. So we have Moses talking with God. He's still up on the mountain, and they've been going back and forth. And in verse 17, God says to Moses, uh, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. And he's talking about um, my presence will be with you. And Moses says in verse 18, please show me your glory. And if you really think about that, that's pretty staggering. That's kind of amazing that Moses would have the gumption to say, show me your glory. That's a pretty extensive yet simple statement. This is what Charles Spurgeon had to say about it. He said, that was a large request to make. He could not have asked for more. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Why, it is the greatest petition that man ever asked of God. And the only way that Spurgeon could kind of understand why he would be able to make that request was that he had spent so much time with God. He had been in communication with God. And the request was staggering because we serve an infinite God. It wasn't like, a, it wasn't like he was asking to see Goliath, who you can actually see if you back up far enough. But... You can't see all of God. And he asked to see his glory. And this is the same God in Isaiah 6, whose robe filled the temple and his voice filled the temple. And it filled Isaiah with trepidation and fear. And Moses was asking to see it. And Spurgeon went on to say, I'm astonished that Moses himself should have been bold enough to supplicate so wondrous a favor. Shortly after he uttered the desire, his bones must have trembled, his blood curdled in his veins, and his hair must have stood on end. Did he not wonder at himself? (laughs) And I think that shows what an amazing man Moses was. Um, We think about Moses and and his mistakes sometimes, but uh, Moses indeed was uh, a man of God. So God's glory is awesome. It is is infinite. Uh, It's difficult for us to, to kind of, it's impossible for us to completely comprehend it. Uh, and I want to read, and if you all would like to turn there, it's Job 38, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read all this. I think this is worthwhile. Job 38, and this is God answering Job. And we've heard all the arguments from all the other dudes. Um, we're not quite sure what was up with Elihu. He seemed to have something right. But um, here we have God talking back to Job. 
Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And I would encourage you to read uh, also chapter 37 and and 38. um, And God gives another challenge to Job, uh, continuing through 39 and 40 and 41. Uh, It's an amazing series of God describing who he is, what he has done, and the extent of uh, his awesomeness. And I think something to be careful of is people might ask us, well, why does God want us to glorify him? Why, how can he justify us giving him everything? Why does God need, does God need to be worshipped? And I think one of the, part of the response to that would be is God is not an egotistical, self-aggrandizing being. He is God. And I want to read Isaiah. And the thought here is that there is no other being that's worthy of this worship and glory. Let's see what Isaiah has to say. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We have been created expressly for the purpose of giving glory to God. That is our sole purpose for existence. Nothing else created or that will be created or that exists is worthy of our worship. And I want to read a quote by Wayne Grudem from Systematic Theology and hopefully this helps un- help us understand just a little bit more. We should rejoice that it is right that God seek his own honor and be jealous for his own honor. For he, infinitely more than anything he has made, is worthy of honor. And I think that would, that would sum it up pretty well. When we give God glory, we don't bring it to him. We don't add to it. It's not like we get a positive sign in our human column. We don't pile onto the mountain of his glory. But what we do is we pull back the curtain. We open the door more to who he is. We're revealing more of who he is. And I know this seems like a lot of quotes, but I think these are helpful. This is another word from John Piper. I don't know of any truth that is more fundamentally pervasive than God's zeal to be glorified which means his zeal for us so to think, so to feel, and so to act as to make him look as glorious as he is. We don't add to his glory. Scripture talks about giving glory to God. And when we say that, again, it's opening the doors. It's pulling back the curtain. It's revealing who he actually is. It's not like we're piling it on. And we see many examples in both the Old Testament and the New Testament of 
God doing things very specifically to bring glory to himself. You think about Pharaoh in Egypt. You think about uh, his patience, God's patience with the nation of Israel. Um, and, and even his interaction with Job. His interaction with Job where he tested Job. He allowed things to happen to Job. And yet, Job came out on the other side still praising God's name. And, and uh, it, God's long-suffering with Moses. I mean, Moses had tried God's patience some of the time, um, as, uh, as we all do. And I, I want to move a little bit now into some slightly practical application. I want to paint just a short picture of some negative examples of people in the Bible that did not give glory to God when they should have. And um, a couple of them had some rather interesting consequences. And then I want to bring some positive examples, um, people that we can look to and take example from. So the first one would be Acts 12, 20 and 23. Herod struck down by God. Let me read this. This is, um, every time you read this, you you just kind of staggered that uh, that that's that's what God did. In Acts 12, verse 20 here. So we have a group of people that are in front of Herod and they had talked to the king's chamberlain and asked for peace. And so here they are gathered together talking with, uh, talking with Herod and they said, the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod just didn't say anything. He was just like, well, that's, that's not bad. That's not bad. And he was struck down and died with worms. That was a sin of omission. We're going to learn about that in catechism. He just didn't do anything when people accredited to him something that should not have been credited to him. He just sat there and took it. And we have no idea what his thoughts were necessarily, but he didn't say anything. He should have said, no, you can't call me the voice of a God. And God struck him down. In Luke 17, we have... Christ healing the lepers, and one guy came back. One guy had the thought. These guys had no hope for a normal life. They had no remote possibility of doing anything regular with their lives. This was an uncurable disease, and they were just going to rot away uh, as they died. And Jesus healed them completely. And only one guy comes back. And Jesus said, was there only one of you that came back to give praise and to give glory to God? And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. Gratefulness uh, is huge. Praise to God for who he is, thanking him for his blessings, and just being thankful. Oh, this, is my, this is my favorite one. This is my favorite one. I want everybody to turn there. Uh, Daniel 4. Daniel 4. Verses 29 through 33. At the end of 12 months, he was walking, Nebuchadnezzar, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. 
here we have Nebuchadnezzar, and he's a show enough kind of dude. He's got everything you could possibly want. He is a conqueror of other lands. He uh, is standing up there and just considering everything he's got. He's looking at everything that God has given him, and he says, wow, I I think I'm, I'm doing pretty well here. And then God turns him into a longhorn and he fancies uh, grass instead of steak. And we see that God is jealous of his glory in all, th- in all three of these examples. In the, le- in the lepers, they should have acknowledged what God did for them, being grateful, acknowledging, giving him glory for what he had done. Nebuchadnezzar was taking glory on himself, again, in the, Same kind of case with Herod and Nebuchadnezzar. These men were failing to recognize who God God is and what he has done. So now we've got some negative examples uh, from Scripture, um, seeing that God is jealous of the glory that he should be be getting. So let's uh, take a step up, and we'll look at some positive examples. Um, And I'm going to have some guys read. Let's see. Uh, well, I'll, I'll do that a little later. Okay. Number one, we have Joseph. And no, that's not where uh, we talk about Joseph in Colossians. But I want to read that verse anyway. There is a public giving of glory to God, and there are unseen ways that I give God glory. No one has to know what I did necessarily for God to be glorified. God is glorified by my integrity. And no one really sees true integrity. So in Genesis 39, when Potiphar's wife advances on him, it was not necessarily to Joseph's, it wasn't to Joseph's advantage to turn her down. It might have been a very positive thing to be chummy with her and to go along with what she was asking. But he knew that that would have been wrong. And you remember he said, how can I sin against God? Not sin against Potiphar or sin against you or whatever. How can I sin against God? This is wrong and I'm not going to do it. And God was honored and he was glorified by that righteous stand. Remember in John 15, 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so be my disciples. So prove to be my disciples. Obedience. Obedience. So in Colossians 1.10, and we read this last week, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We had Joseph challenged, and he did not break. He wanted to do what was right regardless of consequences. All right, moving on to Peter and John in Acts 4.18. And in Acts 4, we have Peter and John that had been preaching to uh, people there in Jerusalem. They had seen what God had done. They had seen him rise into heaven, and they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach and to teach. And they got hauled in by the authorities And it's very interesting what they say here. Let me just read these couple of verses. And this is 
the, the temple authorities. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They remembered Christ's admonition, excuse me, in Matthew 28 to go and preach the gospel, and they went about doing that. That was obedience. Obedience to God's word is one of the ways that we bring him glory. It truly is. All right, going back to the Old Testament, David in 1 Samuel 26 was faced with this multiple times. David had been anointed as king, and yet Saul was already in place, and Saul was chasing him all over the countryside. And David had the perfect right, or we would think so, to be able to strike Saul down. He had the ability to be able to do that, and yet he chose to honor and respect. We have Abishai telling David, hey man, so he's in Saul's camp, and Abishai and David are standing there, and Saul's sleeping. He's like, man, I, all it'll take is one hit. Uh, I'll do it, do it clean. He won't even know, and he'll, he'll be gone, and you can move into the place of the king. And David said, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David wanted to stand strong regardless of the consequences. And isn't it special to think about all the psalms that we have that David wrote because of Saul chasing him all over the place? I think that's pretty, that's pretty neat. And David was depending on God more and more. And God is certainly glorified when we depend on him, when we tell him that we need him. And if you remember, Saul got his comeuppance. It was an awful death. It was a disgraceful death that Saul died. And so... We've got to leave God's vengeance alone. Don't get in God's way. All right, here's our best example. Christ. He was our ultimate example. Again, like I said, he came here on earth to bring glory to God. His entire existence as a human was dedicated to this. He lived a perfect life and completely fulfilled the law and finally suffered the unutterable pain of being separated from God at the cross due to our sins. I want to read a little bit from John 17. Christ's obedience would be the greatest demonstration of giving glory to God. There is nothing else that has been done that has given more glory to God. And this is the beginning of the high priestly prayer in John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And then verses 4 and 5. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The greatest glory comes from the greatest obedience. And if you think about it, Christ's obedience has purchased our obedience. It gives us the ability to be able to obey. Now, there were people in the Old Testament that were obeying God out of a heart uh, desiring to please him. But we have 
the gift of Christ's death on the cross that allows us to truly be able to obey God. So, and I, I want to reiterate, don't let this turn into a moralistic existence of doing all these things in your life to try to glorify God, to, to be like David, to be like Peter and John, to be like Joseph. We've got to live for Christ. We're not going to be perfect at it. And that's why Christ died to die for our sins. Okay, moving into our practical application, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, let me have some guys uh, look up some verses here. Uh, Zach, if you could find uh, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Um, and let's see. Ethan, can you find James 5, 7 through 8? And I'll read our first one here in Proverbs 22. So Proverbs 22, 29, talking about ways that people would look into our lives and see that we are bringing glory to God, that we are giving glory to God uh, in the practical way that we do things in our everyday lives. Verse 29 of Proverbs 22, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings he will not stand before obscure men. Our goal, that we, our goal should not be that we meet or exceed the standards of men. There is an ultimate standard of God's perfect excellence. We're working to please him. We should work as unto the Lord. It's not that we're working to be better than that guy. And I want to make a couple of illustrations here. You all all have noticed the concrete drain that was installed in the parking lot recently. And it works extremely well, and the kids play on it, and we never think about it that much because we just drive over it and it works. Well, what if it was cracked and crumbling to pieces? We'd be thinking about the high school boys and be like, wow, those people just can't get it done. <laughs> but because they had integrity, because they wanted to do a job well done, we don't even think about it. And they did that to the glory of God. They did it well. And it's going to last for a long time. Uh, my father-in-law has been working in San Antonio at a new car dealership, installing all the electrical wiring as part of a, a contract job and installing electricity for the car lifts and all sorts of different things. And do you think that the guy that uses the car lift is ever going to think about the electrician when he's using the car lift? He's going to think about him if it doesn't work. But when it does work, that brings glory to God. It's doing our tasks with excellence. Uh, and again, uh, the world takes notice uh, when we do a job with integrity. And they wonder, why did he do that when nobody, why did he do that well? Why did he do that rightly when nobody was looking? And people are also going to wonder, as Christians, we claim to be Christians, uh, do we live out what we say in public in private? Am I really reading my Bible? Am I really praying? Am I really leading worship time with my family? Am I applying the word to my life? Uh, people are going to wonder, am, uh, are you really doing what, um, doing what Christ has called us to do? Okay, number two. Zach, if you would read First Peter there. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay. So here we have Peter calling us to war against sin and the flesh. That's our natural state. Um, We have a heart that's deceitfully wicked. And would not God be glorified when we acknowledge that there is victory over that and when we apply Scripture to our lives, when we uh, pray and when we fight and battle against these uh, things, against these habits that are in our lives. And he's equipped us. All the necessary weapons, you can see them there in Ephesians 6. Uh, He has given us the tools to change who we are. Um, So I think that would be a great way to bring glory to God is to say, Lord, you have bought this victory against sin, and I'm going to roll with that. I'm going to use it. I'm going to apply it in my life. Going back to practical application number one, you remember when Jesus said, I have not lost one of those you gave me. That was just before he went on the cross. And God had given him these disciples. And Jesus protected them. And I think that would be a way that we can see Christ exemplified that first character trait. He did all that God asked him to. He obeyed him fully and completely. Uh, And he lived a life that uh, we can look to. And with number two here, We remember that Jesus was tempted, as we are, and he was victorious. So let's look to Christ when we think about these things. Okay, number three. Ethan? So throughout Scripture, we see that patience is essential. And we're going to struggle with patience uh, in God's timing with people in relationships, with our employers, with our children. Um, But patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, And God promises that patience will bring us strength. And James even says later, he says that through the work of patience, we can be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I believe that's in chapter 1. So God is patient. We should be like God. Um, Something to remember is that impatience breeds all sorts of other things. Um, We grumble and we can complain. We can even turn to idolatry as Israel did. And they were waiting for Moses and waiting for Moses to come down off the mountain. They were like, okay, let's, let's give up on that dude. Let's make us a nice, you know, whatever we come up with. And you have to be careful with being impatient because it brings so many other things. And we see, again, Christ exemplifying that in his life. If I'd have been Jesus, and I'd have been accused of all these things, and been treated the way that he did, I would have not had a shred of patience. And I would have struck all those guys down. And yet, Christ knew there was a purpose, and yet he did not let those men affect him. Our last one here. In Psalm 104, and again, this is not an exhaustive list. Please don't think that I'm completely going through everything that we could possibly talk about. That's impossible. (laughs) But praising God, glorifying him, uh, realizing who he is, and telling him that, being verbal about it, sharing it with others, 
it is a vital way that we can apply uh, and live out glorifying God in our lives. Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2, and then uh, verses 24 and 25. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your treasures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. When we're praising God on a regular basis, when we have that as an established part of our lives, then it's going to recenter us back to where we need to be. It's going to help us to see sin in our life as we compare ourselves to who God is. Uh, it is a uh, it, it is a wonderful thing to have in your life, and you can always find something to praise God for. You can always praise Him for His attributes, and God is good to us. And you can always find something in your life that you can praise Him for. And be specifically thankful in your private prayers. Thank God for specific things when nobody else is listening. Um, sing at home with your family. Amanda and I just started doing that this week, and it was. Uh, a little uncomfortable at first because I, you know, uh, Jesus loves me. But God loves to hear you praise his name. And you don't have to be in the right key to be able to do that. And I think another good way to praise God is to share what he's been doing in your life with others. And let people know that God is at work and that God is doing good things uh, in your life. And I want to finish up by reading a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, and then I'll pray. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. We find the greatest satisfaction as created human beings when we live our lives according to God's glory, when we live lives how he has called us to in Scripture, and what a great joy it brings when we do that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this topic. And Lord, we haven't even scratched the surface. Lord, we didn't consider your creation and your fingerprint upon the tiny beetle and the wonderful storm clouds, the mountains you have made. Lord, we see your glory exemplified. We see your might and your strength. We see your attributes throughout nature. And yet, Lord, even as we see the awesome things that you have created, you've created us, and you've created us specifically to bring glory to you. And Lord, we see that exemplified as our example most amazingly in the life of Christ who lived a selfless life, dying a death he did not deserve, being raised to life for our benefit. Lord, may we share that ultimate act of glory and love with others. May we be eager to show people what you have done in our lives and in Scripture Lord, I pray that we would see you 
bigger and bigger each day that you would become more and more like you are. Lord, it's not that you grow bigger. It's that we see more of you. Lord, you are a big God and we'll never truly fully comprehend you. But we thank you for your word. Lord, let us steep ourselves in it. I thank you for this time this morning. I pray for Cody as he brings the message from Colossians. pray that you would bless him. And I pray that you would bless our fellowship. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.